Hi, I'm Adrienne. I help people tell the stories they were told not to talk about. Maybe by their own inner critic. Maybe by the world. Either way, I'm here to serve as a kind of story midwife, birthing these beautiful naked narratives and helping them thrive. Telling our own stories and speaking our own truth should be the easiest thing in the world. But it's not. We all get blocked. We all feel censored, stymied, or silenced at times. We struggle to find the right entry point, to articulate the message we want to convey, and to identify the ideal audience to receive it. And that, my friends, is where I come in. I'm a professional brand voice consultant and story coach. I help entrepreneurs, solopreneurs, storytellers, and anyone else who is ready to start living out loud to deliver their authentic voice directly to those who most need to hear it. Are you ready to get authentic? Good, because that's allowed. Hi, everyone, and welcome to the That's Allowed podcast. I'm your hostess, so let's have a toastess. It's Adrienne McKeon. What would you do if a dead relative showed up to interrupt your suicide planning in the depths of the deepest, darkest depression of your life and told you, hey, guess what? You can't actually die yet because your mission on Earth is not yet complete. Would you start doing stand-up? Because that's what today's guest did, among many other things. Let's take a listen. Hi, everyone. I am here with the fucking amazing Court Rendell. I'm going to read her badass bio here because it kicks ass. And <laughs> and like I say, whenever it's a writer, like I feel like I have to read their bio because they, you know, I know they slaved over that shit. Like that bio did not just spring out of nowhere. So Court Rundell's been speaking since 2001 about the lessons she's learned from surviving. Are we ready for the list? Child abuse, bullying, and rape, and living with six, count them six, chronic illnesses, ladies and gentlemen. Uh, every challenge she's lived through became her greatest teachers, making her stronger and transforming her into the fucking phoenix she is today. <laughs> She's spoken at conventions, treatment centers, and conferences. She is also, and I can attest to this, an award-winning playwright with an MA in playwriting from UCSB. That, incidentally, is where we met. I was getting my PhD at that time. And she very graciously cast me in one of her shows, but we might talk about that later. Ha! <laughs> graciously. <laughs> <laughs> She's blogged for WebMD, WeGo Health, the International Bipolar Foundation, rad her blog reno is a gateway drug is currently being adapted into a graphic novel and she's working on a memoir about surviving postpartum depression welcome court hey babe hey babe it's been been way too long it's been forever and i love you and i love your face and i'm so happy that i get to actually see you while we talk it's very exciting it is exciting they don't get to see me though that's just for you that's I know. It's sad, sad for them. I know. So sad for you guys right now. Big bummer. <laughs> so obviously you have about a million stories and yes. like a million and one themes and amazing things that we could talk about. So I just want to start with, what do you want to talk about today? Well, when I listened to your podcast, yeah. it what I grabbed from it was more like, what story are you not telling? Yeah, exactly. So I was thinking about it, and since uh, I am currently battling Lyme disease and kicking its ass most days. Most days. Yeah, it's very challenging, don't get me wrong. 
but since I am in bed a lot, mm-hmm. I have no excuse not to write. And as a fellow writer, you know that the hardest thing is actually sitting down to do it. Once, yeah. once I'm there, I'm golden. You know, it's the gym yeah. and writing, right? Yep. I just have to get there. So I'm yeah. there and I've been wanting to write a memoir about, you know, I, I say postpartum depression because I'm being economical, but really it was prenatal depression and then it was postpartum psychosis, mm-hmm. mania, OCD, and then depression. Right. So it was a lot of insanity and it was four years long. It was yeah. high school, right? It was, yeah. it was freshman, sophomore, junior, senior year of high school. And I was hospitalized twice. And, you know, I had three really good years after that and I did stand up and I had a great time and I just really didn't take myself seriously. And now that, now that Lyme has come to say, what's up? I, want to tell my story. Now I've told a lot of this story, what I haven't told, and this is what I'm kind of struggling with because first and foremost, my goal as a writer, as a speaker, as a storyteller, as a human on this planet, my purpose is to serve other humans who are in pain. You're here. So I don't, yeah, exactly. So I don't want to be too polarizing. Like I never discuss politics or anything like that. I don't do that because I don't want to be polarizing. Right. 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 Because I want to serve as many people as possible, but I also like to have the gory details. So what happened was one of the things that saved my life, several things saved my life when the, I mean, the last two years were just straight black depression, like the worst depression I've ever had. Right. And what saved my life, one of the things was a ghost. Okay. And it's very matter of fact for me Mm -hmm. because it's just matter of fact. It's like the sky is blue. I talk to dead people, right? Right. Right. But (laughs) I'm not, (laughs) I mean, I'm not a medium or anything like that. What, What happened was Right before my husband and I got married, uh, his little brother died by suicide. Okay. And he has been in contact with me since. Got it. And it's been very obvious. I have had friends around who've seen it. He has turned up my car stereo at certain times. Mm-hmm. He has blasted my music in my house at certain times. He pops light bulbs. He's very powerful. And because he died by suicide, He came in very strong. Two times I saw mediums when I was going through all of this and said, don't do it. And here's why. And I don't know if I should tell that. Yeah. I mean, I'm telling it now, obviously. (laughs) (laughs) But when I, I've noticed a lot of times when I start to talk, about ghosts and such yeah people get very well there's you know that people are very matter of fact about it and like i'm very matter of fact about it i've had people be very matter of fact in the opposite way and just say well ghosts aren't real you know right right and it's it's just polarizing yeah it's like ghosts are real or they're not 
Yes. <laughs> there's not, yeah, there's, there's not, yeah, there's not really. And I mean, I use the term ghost, but it's, it's really, you know, I believe in quote unquote heaven. Mm-hmm. I believe we all go there. I believe in love. I believe that, you know, we go to this place and some of us can, you know, some of us are more connected to the earth because yeah. he was only 30 years old. He's connected to so many of us who are alive. Yeah. You know, like a lot of times it's like, well, my, my, my 90 year old father hasn't come through to see me. And it's like, well, because most of his friends and family were probably right. already crossed already over. Side, yeah. yeah. So he, you know, maybe he didn't have a huge, you know, it's like we take it personal or whatever. And yes, <laughs> like I can't, <laughs> I can't, I'm not a medium. I can't channel. I can't go, Hey, Steve, let's have a talk. Yeah. I mean, I can, but it, it ain't going to happen. Right. You know it's what I mean? More like you're, you're a phone booth and they can call you, but you can't yes. call out. <laughs> yes. And then, yeah. And then, and, and generally, you know, if I have, you know, a really good friend who's, who's the medium that two times he went through at that time mm-hmm. and she's the phone booth, you know, like yeah. I just get in the phone booth Well, I don't get inside <laughs> of her, although she's very attractive and I wouldn't mind totally different story, but yes, got it. Yes. But I think, you know, I tend to have diseases that are very polarizing as well. I have bipolar, I have alcoholism, I have PTSD. And then I think the only one that is not would be the Hashimoto's thyroid disease that I have. And and then I have chronic active Epstein-Barr and Lyme. And Lyme is extraordinarily controversial. Yeah. You know, yeah. most doctors still don't really buy it. It's, it's, yeah, uh, it's it's mm-hmm. a thing. It's yeah. all I'm gonna say is it's a thing. I'm not a conspiracy theorist, and I'm like, wow, the CDC has problems. Yes, it's proven and ugly. You know, it's very yeah. ugly. And yeah. so, I guess it's what point do we shut the fuck up about certain beliefs that are going to be polarizing? Obviously, I'm not going to shut up about Lyme disease. It's very factual. Well, and it's also your your health is dependent on people seeing it as a real thing. Yes, and I'm and I'm a health advocate, so right. <laughs> like, so I'm not going to leave out things about my health. You know? Yeah. I mean, I would say the answer to that question, in my opinion, is we shut the fuck up about things when it doesn't actually affect us or other people uh, directly. It's an opinion, right? It's like. Yeah. I have this strong opinion about this. Well, if nobody asked you, you know, opinions are like assholes. Everybody's got yes. one, but that doesn't mean I want to see yours. And most right. of them stink. Yeah. So, <laughs> um, so, so I think that's the, the thing. When it's something that could be helpful to someone else, mm-hmm. when it's information that someone else might feel less alone if they had mm-hmm. that information, then mm-hmm. we should never shut up. We should yeah. keep talking. And, and if it polarizes people, so be it. Yes. People can not look at our, shit if they don't want to see it (laughs) yeah but I mean it is it is part of when you have something that is not fixed with western medicine like basically what happened was you know I was diagnosed with bipolar disorder before I ever got pregnant and I treated it 
aggressively as I do with mm -hmm. anything. You just tell yeah. me what to do and I'll fix it. Right. And I'll fucking do it. Yeah. Yeah. And, 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 and I had three years of sanity that were like I'd never experienced before. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And then we decided to have a baby, mm -hmm. you know, and because I mean, I was 36 and, you know, I wasn't getting any oh. younger and I'd had a miscarriage the year before. Mm -hmm. And I mean, I already had a bipolar diagnosis, but most of my friends who had bipolar disorder felt better when they got pregnant. Interesting. So, I know. So it was a roll of the die. Yeah. I didn't know, you know, so yes, it, it was, I had dealt with insanity most of my life. So mm -hmm. it's not a typical postpartum story where, right. like, I mean, but, <laughs> but suddenly out of nowhere, I'm insane. <laughs> right. <laughs> but, you know, most of the postpartum stories that I've heard have been like, you know, they go down the tubes. It's awful. Mm -hmm. And then they get put on a med mm -hmm. and they're golden yeah. and it's good. And then, you know, if it's like a Wellbutrin or a Zoloft, you know, a lot of times you can take one of those for about a year and go off of it and be cool and not have to be on medication your entire life. Right. Yeah. Yeah. So my story is different because I already came in having known mental illness. Yeah. But I didn't, nobody knew what to expect. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And you know, what happened was I went off my meds and then when I tried to go back on them, they didn't work. Mm. And actually, yeah, well, I had to go off my meds for the pregnancy when I tried right. to go back on them. Yeah. I went back on them and they didn't work and I was suicidal and I was so sick. I was like, well, why am I taking these meds? Yeah. If they're not going to work. So I went, so I weaned off everything with my psychiatrist. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. at the time he's no longer my psychiatrist and I was trying everything because he said if you exercise three hours a day you don't need meds and mm -hmm. he very strongly believed in exercise and so right. I did that I did that until I got sick and I got sick right yeah, I didn't yeah. know I had Lyme at the time I didn't know I had chronic active Epstein-Barr right you, you know just knew, I feel like crap yeah. And it was like, well, that's depression. That's depression. That's depression. But when you get nailed, or I should say, when I get nailed with chronic illness, like mm -hmm. nailed, mm -hmm. it causes depression. Of course it does. <laughs> because you feel like you fucking crap all the time. Well, you feel like crap and it's not like, you know, your child is like, no, it's cool. You can call in sick. Right. You yeah. can't call in sick for being a mom. No, you cannot. <laughs> and I've been so. I've been like coma fatigue and mm -hmm. dragged myself through the mud for that kiddo because he needed to eat or he needed his diaper changed, you know? Of course. Yeah. But the point that I was getting to was when Western medicine, when I, it, when it failed me mm -hmm. really because I was med resistant at that point, Yeah, I turned every stone. Yeah. I did acupuncture. I did Reiki. I did, I saw mediums. Mm -hmm. I saw a shaman. I, there's just so much I had crystals and, and sound baths and sound baths. Actually, I still go to, and they really, really, really help me. Oh, cool. I know. And it's, it's so weird. And that it, it's so weird because you never know what's going to help one person. Yeah. yeah. Like 
I swear I'm the only human being who does not like acupuncture. Like I really tried and it just Mm -hmm. doesn't do it for me. Like I feel better for maybe an hour. It puts me to sleep, which at the time that's nice. I really fucking needed. Like just to to have the excuse that like, oh, you know, I had the C section, I have all this back pain. Mm -hmm. I have to go to this acupuncture appointment for an hour (laughs) every day. And so it was like the only time I got a nap. <laughs> was like when I, I hear would that. go and get acupuncture. So it was honestly just an excuse to sleep for me, but it was nice. That's hilarious. <laughs> but I mean, it, it's acupuncture is really effective for most humans that I know. Right, right. But then like sound baths are totally really, really effective for me. Not every single time. Yeah. But you know, and other people run screaming out of the room because they so can't fascinated. stand the sound. Yeah, I'm so fascinated by the idea of being healed by sound. I'm like one of these, you know, yeah. uh, like conspiracy nutcases who's like, I think the pyramids were actually like sound <laughs> devices to heal oh. people. And yeah, so like I've done. Not aliens? <laughs> well, aliens obviously gave people the technology to create <laughs> them. Court. Duh. Well- I don't take this stuff super seriously. I just love the idea of it. I just I love the story of it. I like, I love the story of That's like so aliens funny. giving ancient people technology that then we fucking ruined because we're fucking humans. But see, right? but, then, but then see, I have a highly scientific mathematical mind. Like mm-hmm. my day job, I work in finance, right? Right. And right. I do analysis and it, because I love puzzles and so I'm like, um, it's a simple lever and pulley system, people. Like I even, <laughs> I even showed my husband because he's convinced that he loves aliens, right? Oh, yeah, and, yeah, and, yeah. and I love aliens too, but <laughs> I don't necessarily believe that they've come on down here yet. I don't know. I, I'm just a huge, I don't know there. I would say totally that I'm fair. agnostic. I'm totally agnostic fair. when it yeah. comes to aliens. Yeah. <laughs> We I actually just, just went like, to Roswell. It was pretty funny. I, nobody fucking knows. Okay. We weren't there. Yes. We, we don't know. Um, I like the theories because the theories tie into a lot of ideas that I have just about the universe and yeah. how things work. And so I just love the idea of one species helping another species along and things like that. And the whole, you know, prime directive and like, I like shit like that. You know, I, love, I just no, like the idea of it. If it's love, yeah, I'm down. Like I'm down. if it's if it's love, it's right. I, right. I, I that's always my you know that's <laughs> what I t- I teach my son. I'm like love is always the right answer, babe. Exactly, love is always the right answer. You know. Yeah. Well, I want to anyway. I want to hear more about your ghost brother-in-law. Okay. I'm All really right. interested. <laughs> my ghost brother-in-law. <laughs> well, his name's Stephen. He was a classical guitarist musician. Okay. Uh, and. So it makes sense that he comes through in music a lot. Yeah, yeah. But the first real, we found out that he had died on a Sunday. And um, by that night, we were in Dallas mm-hmm. because that's where my husband's family is from. And we just basically got on a plane and went, obviously, this is before kids. Yeah. Well, before kids. And we weren't even, we were engaged. We were, we were in the middle of planning our wedding two and a half months out. And we got on a plane and we finally got in bed at like, I don't know, 2 a.m. or something. And I'm holding my husband 
and we hear music. Mm. And it kind of sounds like maybe carnival music. It sounds like someone is having a party down the street. Okay. And it frightened my husband, but I immediately thought, oh, that's Steve. Hmm. <laughs> and I don't know why. I just knew. Yeah. Because it was music. It, I mean, at first we thought it was some someone having a party, but it was it was Sunday night, and it was about two a.m. in Dallas. Mm-hmm. You know, in a, in a in Highland Park, in a very fancy schmancy street, right? Mm-hmm. And so I went. We both went to investigate. Finally, yeah. And we got up. We walked down the scary hall. And we're in a colonial mansion, mm-hmm. and we walked down the stairs, and it stops. Yeah. And we get back into the bedroom and it starts again. Hmm. And this goes on for a few times until we finally just decide to sleep to the music as it keeps going and going and going. Wow. And it wasn't coming from outside, although it sounded like it was. Yeah. And that was the very first one. And then after, let's see, the next night, they had a chandelier uh, in the dining room. And the, their Episcopalian, the priest came to the house that evening. You know, everyone came with food and all of that, you know, mm-hmm. <laughs> you need oh, food yeah. when you can't eat. Right. Of course. And, you know, but, but very sweet though. And, you yes. know, this is the South and, and, you know, it's oh, yeah. a very different, oh, yeah. they're very different culture. And then I, I'm a Californian through and through. Mm-hmm. Total weirdo. Love avocados. So, uh, we were, we said the Lord's prayer in a circle. There were about 20 of us that night with the priest. And, you know, the boys had grown up with this priest. And Mm -hmm. he was a lovely man, just lovely. Mm. And so we're we're all holding hands. We're saying the Lord's Prayer. Toward the end of it, the chandelier goes completely bright. You know, it's on a dimmer switch, right? Yeah. And it was about probably medium. It went full blast. Wow. And... This Dallas socialite, oh my gosh, she's a character. She is a character. And I lock eyes and look at each other. Everyone else's eyes were closed. But we saw it. And yeah. then one of the light bulbs popped. Wow. And, but for some reason, Billy and I were the only ones who had seen it. Mm-hmm. No one else noticed. And it was so obvious. It was just so obvious. And, and I just knew. So cut to when I see the medium the very, the most powerful one was, I remember I, I barely got myself there. It was a group reading. She was in town. She lives in the Bay area. She was in town in Los Angeles. I live in Los Angeles. Mm -hmm. And there were probably about 15 of us there. And she's not a professional medium, but she like kind of does it on the side. <laughs> sure. <laughs> she actually has a really like high paying, successful corporate job, right? I think if you're a medium, like you kind of can't help being a medium. Like you don't necessarily have to do anything with it, but like, you know, I feel like you should. Well, that's what happened to her. <laughs> that's what happened yeah. to her. She's like, she was like, I've been talking to dead people since I was a kid. And yeah. she basically got to the point where she was like, I can't keep shushing them. Yeah. So I need to, I need to do this and, and, and funnel it. Although, you know, it takes a lot out of a person Yeah. to do that So and short, bring on short, that energy. Short sidebar. My friend Marianne is also a, uh, a medium and awesome. she, 
Yeah. It's just surrounded by dead people. So she went to a psychic when she was pretty young, you know, I think really? in the 20s. And this guy was like, so did you grow up like next to a graveyard or something? Mm-hmm. And she's like, no. He's like, maybe like on top of one, like an Indian burial site or something. Mm-hmm. And she's like, not that I'm aware of. And he's like, that's pretty strange because I have never seen so many dead people like on one person. Like they, there's a whole graveyard like <laughs> on you right now. And she's like, yeah, I know. <laughs> oh, that's funny. Yeah. And he's just like, wow. Okay. Uh, moving on. <laughs> So wait, so wait, but she saw, you said psychic because she saw a medium. I'm going to clarify here just for the kids playing at home. So a psychic, the difference between a psychic and a medium is a medium talks to dead people. A psychic is the one who like will tell your future and stuff. There's a lot of different kinds of uh, psychic gifts. There's clairvoyance, there's clairsentience, there's clairaudience, there's, yes. you know, there's a whole freaking range. I don't know. <laughs> I'm like, this is a secondhand story. So I don't know yeah. the official title of this person that she was. Of the person that she was. Yeah. Yeah. And, she, and also, I mean, you can call it channeling too. Sure. Like they're, they're yeah. channeling, you know, they're channeling. But I mean, a lot of times if you go to a psychic, and I think that's what people think of if you go right. to a fortune, you know, they think right. of a psychic, they a think fortune of a fortune teller. teller. Right. They think of somebody, you know, with a crystal ball, right. you He's know, reading your hands future. or yeah. doing tarot. And that's not what a medium is. No. Like this is a person <laughs> that is in the room with you and there's nothing. Yeah. There's yeah. no gadgets. There's no gizmos. No. You know, and, and I've seen, I've seen a lot of mediums. Yeah. Really yeah. only, really only since, Steve died, I think. But yeah. since then, you know, actually it was my mother-in-law. My mother-in-law sent me to my first medium, sent my husband and I to our first mediums or my first medium so we could talk to Steve because she said, yeah. oh, I've been talking to him. I've been talking to him. Yeah. But she sent us to a guy and that, and it was so legit for me, the experience, I was like, oh, cool. Okay. Well, I want to talk to some other people. So then I yeah. started seeing mediums not on a regular basis, but I've talked to my dad twice and I've talked to my stepdad and a few others what was your most like positive or like you know spine tingly experience well okay so it it was it really was this it really was this so yes I'm sorry my girlfriend came came down we had this group reading and she had already read me and she knew Steve yeah so she was like Steve's here yeah hey Steve what's up because he was about six feet tall and she described, you know, in the yeah. initial one, she described exactly what he looks like and everything. And he's him. Yeah. And he essentially, I, I had dragged myself and I was, I was at the point where I was completely uh, not eating. Mm. I had no appetite. I lost my appetite. I was trying meds again. I was not sleeping mm-hmm. which I am a sleeper I've never had an issue with sleep except yeah. for at this time uh yeah. and I was desperately trying not to go through with my suicide plan right and my head was screaming at me constantly to kill yourself you're a worthless piece of shit uh you're evil nobody loves you god is doing this to you i had a lot of stuff going on with god right yeah yeah but it's not true but when you're at this point mm-hmm. there's no 
for me, there's no way to turn and do positive self-talk. Right. There's no rational anything. I tried. Let me tell you how hard I tried. Yeah. And so I was at this point where I was just minute by minute trying not to kill myself. Right. Because I had this son and I couldn't leave my son and I couldn't leave him with the legacy of a mother who killed herself because I have two suicides in my family and my husband has one and it leaves a mark. It sure does. Unlike no other. And I completely understand people dying by suicide. And I hope someday we'll actually call it just dying of depression because that's really what it is. Yeah. Unless it's like all of a sudden, you know, Oh, you lost all your money in the stock market and you jump off a building and it's like a very, very quick decision. Generally it's from, a long depression. Right. A long battle. That A long yeah. battle. Uh, and, and so I was sitting there. I had nothing. I had mm-hmm. nothing. And he said, I know you want to do it. I know you want to kill yourself. I know you have a plan. He said what the plan was. Mm-hmm. I'm not going to say what it was because I don't want to put any ideas sure. into anybody's head. Yeah. It was a darn good plan. And he, he said, if, see, now this is where it gets really polarizing because he said, you've lived six lives in this lifetime. You have to get through this because you have a mission. Mm-hmm. You're here for a purpose. And if you kill yourself, you're just going to have to do it all over again. Wow. And I mean, you guys heard my bio. I've had a lot of challenges in my life, yes. but I'm also one of the most positive people you'll ever meet. Like Fuck I yeah. am a, I'm a very happy go lucky fart kind of kid. Like I am, <laughs> I, it's, it takes a lot to tear me down, you yeah. know? Yeah. And, totally. and it has, there's been a lot of stuff and mm-hmm. I am now doing some astrology. I actually am working with an astrologer now who told me I'm in my last life and I totally believe it. And she's like, you have had karmic retribution. And I told her what Steve said and she said, yep, that's all right here. And <laughs> it, it, it verified it for me. And this astrologer is no joke. Like yeah. she is no joke. I, we, we met and I instantly knew and I was like, oh man, I mean, I was judging myself. I was like, really, astrologers? Who are you, Nancy Reagan? Come on, girl. What are we doing here? But it just, you know, I go where my intuition pulls me. And Mm -hmm. so Steve basically talked me out of killing myself because I, for some reason, I knew that was true, that I would have to do this all over again. And the thought of having to do this all over again. Right, right. No. No, fuck no. Like, I really don't. And I do believe in reincarnation and, mm-hmm. you know, and I do believe in past lives and, and I, I do believe in all of that. And, and yes, those are all beliefs. You know, everything I'm talking about right now is belief. Yeah. You know, it's my experience, but it comes from belief. It doesn't come from science. No. You know? So that said, that, there is a lot, there is a lot of evidence for past lives and that would be a whole other podcast. 
But yes. there's been a lot of, you know, documented experiences that you just cannot explain in any other way. There have, there have had been. A I yeah. mean, for me, it's, it's just very real. Yeah. For me, it's very, very real. And I've done past life regression with a shaman and mm-hmm. all of that. And I mean, it's just funny. Like I hear myself talk and I'm like, girl, like if you met me on the street, you'd never guess like right. that I, that I am so woo. <laughs> right. I yep, mean, I, yep, I am yep. so woo woo. And yeah, I'm super woo. Yeah. And sometimes it takes people knowing me for a few years when all of a sudden they'll look at me and they'll go, Oh my God, you're a hippie. Mm-hmm. Surprise. And I go, shh, don't tell anyone. You know, <laughs> I mean, cause I really, I really try, I, I try to really throw off a punk rock vibe, yeah. you know, like yeah, I'm totally. not, I'm not wearing ankle skirts and bells and all that. And, and I'm not judging those who do. And I have in the past and I do like Birkenstocks. They fit great, but you know, I mean, <laughs> I'm a pretty like punk rock rebel kind of girl, you know, yeah, I've got the yeah. tattoos and, and I've got the pink hair and, and I love being a rebel and yeah, you know, it's just, but that's the thing about being a rebel is like, you believe whatever the fuck you believe and yeah. like, fuck you for trying to put me in a box. Totally. But here's the deal with, with a memoir about postpartum, yeah. you know, it's like, it's like now we're going to go back to it's not even the business side. It's, it's the serving side of who am I writing this for? Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And am I going to lose them? Yeah. I mean, the question is who needs to hear this? Who needs to hear this story? Who needs to hear this? Is someone having an experience like me? A lot of times I have People don't realize how long postpartum can last. And the mm-hmm. older you are, the longer it can take. If you have a yeah. child in your 40s, you can have postpartum for up to 10 years. Wow. Yes. And in your 30s is up to five. Mm-hmm. And in your 20s is around, I don't remember, maybe one or two. Yeah. So I have told my story before in mm-hmm. 12. I've told my story in a 12-step meeting. Mm-hmm. when when I was taking a, a a cake for, you know, an anniversary of, you know, recovery years, we celebrate mm-hmm. our years of recovery. Right. And I told my story and a woman came up to me that I was able to serve so beautifully for a few years until she got out of it. Uh, just with my experience, obviously I'm not a doctor, uh, but I was because she had toddlers mm-hmm. and she thought, I can't have postpartum with toddlers. Right. Because you look at postpartum, I'm not saying you, I'm saying society on a whole tends to look at postpartum as the maybe six, six months to maybe a year after giving birth. Mine definitely lasted for about two years, about two years after she was born. I I've said this before. You had postpartum. Hey, hey, surprise. Have we talked about this? I don't think we have. We haven't talked like seriously since grad school. I don't think. Yeah. Aria, um, is amazing and she's like a yes. little gem, but she I've was a, her. she was a terrible sleeper. And so the uh, first two years I was constantly sleep deprived. Yeah. And, and I got pretty psycho. <laughs> like, you know, yeah. I, I did, I did some crazy shit and I had some, you know, thoughts that were just like, where does that thought even come from? 
Mm-hmm. Like, you know, I'd have to work at having a thought like that now. And they were just bombarding me at the time. Yes. And, uh, you know, I, I don't want to get into all the details, but I definitely, those two years were the hardest of my life. Honestly. Yes. yes. The hardest. Yes. And yeah. it's not that I don't uh, fucking adore my, my baby girl. I do. Um, but yeah, I mean, I was, the, the other thing was I had really low milk supply. Mm, and so I was constantly hooked up to this like pumping machine, like yes. a cow, like a cow. Yes. Like, a, look really like a cow. low producing cow. <laughs> and your nipples get so big and, and weird and, and gross. Yeah. And it's, oh, uh, and you the do, you feel thing. like a cow. Yeah. I remember that. I was like, I'm a cow. Yeah. And it is, I mean, and that is, that is a point is, is that they use sleep deprivation as a torture device. Yeah. Okay. It's really effective. Sleep deprivation is proven Mm -hmm. to make you insane. Yeah. It will make you insane. And you can, I mean, even it it can just take a few days. And part of the problem with me is, I have bipolar disorder yeah, and I have to sleep. Yeah. And so I flipped manic because mm-hmm. I wasn't sleeping. And my psychiatrist yeah. was like, you have to sleep. And, and it wasn't because he was, he was actually a really good sleeper, but when he was a newborn, you know, they have to eat every two or three hours. Yeah. yeah. And my husband is an insomniac. So yeah. he went, so I, that's when we started sleeping in separate bedrooms because I said, you sleep because he was working. He's, he's a film editor and yeah. he was, and we needed, uh, you know, money and insurance money. and stuff. Uh-huh. Yeah. And so like it that. was like, okay, let's take care of him mm-hmm. so he can sleep and, you know, bring yep. in formula money after I had to stop mm-hmm. breastfeeding. Yeah. Tragically quickly. Yeah. It was horrible, but, uh, oh my God, uh, you know, and, and I, and I was the one in charge. So then we started hiring night nurses. I mean, yeah. the money, the money just went out the door yeah. and there were no amount of night nurses that could bring me back, you know? Yeah. Yeah. But in that first, in that first like week or two, I was psychotic and I was manic and my breast pump started talking to me. And that time was mm-hmm. very dramatic and it'll be yeah. really fun to write about. Yeah. But I think one of the, for six months, I had postpartum OCD, mm-hmm. which is something that I don't hear talked about either. And I believe can really serve Absolutely. because, because I had nonstop thoughts that I was mm-hmm. going to kill my child. Yeah. And they were violent, graphic, looping thoughts mm-hmm. and they would not stop. Yeah. And it was horrifying and they lasted six months and was you it know, you who, um, who duct taped all the windows? Yes. 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 Yeah. I have another friend who had postpartum uh, psychosis and OCD. So I get these two mixed up sometimes. So <laughs> you get us mixed me. up. Yes. yes. <laughs> yeah. That's actually, that, that's actually how I'm opening the book. Yeah. Is when, when I was duct taping the windows shut and it did really help me. Yeah. Uh, because we lived in a three story townhouse. So you, you playing at home, I duct taped our sliding glass door. And every window that could be opened shut while my husband was gone because I knew if he saw me doing it, he would pull the crazy card and be like, and it would flip him out. You know, I just yeah. wanted him to see it after the fact. It, you know, it made sense at the time. Yeah. 
And, uh, you know, I was like, you know, having them already duct taped, not as crazy as actually duct taping them. I don't know why that's my, yeah, that's the way I thought back then. Uh And, you know, and it did, it really, really brought me a feeling of safety because I just thought that I would have a knee jerk reaction, just like you do when you stand on top of a building. You know, most people, I think when you stand on top of a very high building, you think I could just jump. It's mm-hmm. just a thought. It's so it's weird little, a, yeah. It's just a weird little thought, right? But if you have anxiety disorder or OCD or something like that, that thought says hello over and over and over and over and over again. So you need to yeah. get off that roof. So I needed right. to basically get off the roof. And yeah. the, the duct tapes got me off the roof. Yeah. But, you know, another thing that's really interesting is a lot of people, I've been battling Lyme for over a year now. And a lot of people are like, man, that sucks. How are you getting through it? And I'm like, if I'm okay upstairs, I'm fine. I can handle the physical. I don't, I don't, I'm not good at a lot of pain. I'm not, but most of the physical that I have is not severe pain. Yeah. Uh, And I have a lot of fatigue, but nothing compares. The only thing that compares and, you know, I always say comparing tragedies doesn't really do anything. But the only thing that compares is my childhood. I don't know which was right. My, my childhood, the first eight <laughs> years of my life or the four years of postpartum. Those yeah. were both kind of a horrific. But yeah. Lyme disease, I'm not going to say it's nothing because it's not nothing. It's definitely a challenge. But compared mm-hmm. to that, I feel yeah. like I've actually, I feel like postpartum gave me, well, what it did was it made me be strong. And Mm -hmm. it made me see my strength because I don't think that we really know how strong we are until we face a challenge. And what I learned from that is that my strength is limitless. Yeah. And so I know that it's a deep knowing inside of me. So even when the Lyme is horrid, I know that my strength is limitless because I've proven that to myself before. Yeah. So I know that you did stand up after I I did for three years. It really helped me heal. Yeah. So I found that too, that like turning tragedy into comedy for myself, uh, was one of the most healing things that I, that I've ever done while I was in the pit of, you know, postpartum depression. I created a character called Mrs. Fishbomb, which you can find on my website. I know Mrs. Fishbomb. I love Mrs. Fishbomb. (laughs) Yes. So, but I think it's, that's a real tool that Mm -hmm. people don't use as much as they could and should. Well, and one of the biggest tools too, and it started when I had prenatal depression because it was horrid and I couldn't get out of bed. I was in the dark, dark, dark. Mm -hmm. And I started reading a blog called Hyperbole and a Half. Oh, the best. Allie Brush. Oh, she's the the most amazing amazing human being who also has struggled. She's also struggled with depression very, very badly after she got a book deal. You know, you think, man, I got my book deal. Uh, everything's peaches and mm. what who shows yeah. up depression what low yeah. self-worth all of that but I love her but I discovered her blog and so what I do now is when I when I um when I start to to sink mm-hmm. I'll put on Pete Holmes or Microfiglia or you know just some of yeah. my favorite comics or I'll just throw on a Netflix you know I'll throw on any female for Exactly. Especially on Netflix, the way I always want to support female comics because we're so rare still. Yeah. But oh my God, so many shows. I was the only chick, I swear. 
Anyway, (laughs) (laughs) crazy, but yeah, comedy, doing stand-up, and I'm not saying go out and do stand-up because that's insane, but because I I was an actor for 16 years in my youth, I, you know, I, I still like being on stage and, you know, I speak now, I do a lot of public speaking and I love that too. I've been doing that for almost 20 years. So it was like kind of an, it was kind of natural and I didn't have any fear anymore because I'd almost died. So yeah. I was like, what, they're not going to laugh at my joke? Who cares? And, yeah. so, you know, and so I took a class and started doing open mics. And, you know, instead of like sitting in the green room with the other jaded comics, mm-hmm. I would sit in the audience once I was done with my yeah. set and I would laugh. I would just <laughs> laugh. I would just laugh my balls off, you know? Laughter is such great medicine. It it really truly is. I mean, medicine's great medicine too, but laughter really is medicine. Like it mm-hmm. really, it really can. I mean, when my depression was so horrid, I remember using laughter as a measurement tool because, or using my sense of humor as a measurement tool, because when mm-hmm. I was in the absolute darkness, the yeah. darkest of the dark, I would listen to comedy because I would still use it as a tool. I would listen to comedy and I would go, I don't understand why that's funny. But when I was in, let's say the 75% depression, I would go, that's funny. <laughs> yeah. But I wouldn't laugh. Yeah. You know what I mean? But when yeah, I was it's in a good like yardstick. The, yeah, it, it really is a measuring stick for yeah. depression. And, and, you know, and then, but when I'm in like kind of that 25% zone, I can pull a lot of times the comedy can pull me out, you know, yeah. because I yeah. will start laughing and that laughing, you know, there's, um, I don't know if you've read the book anatomy of an illness. I have not. Ah, uh, it's, it's from like maybe 1982. It's, um, and his name, I'm spacing on his name right now, but I'm sure Adrian will put it in the show notes. Uh, <laughs> it might come to me. He's, he's just so beautiful. Uh, he, he had, he was diagnosed with this horrible, horribly painful, arthritic, horrible, there's no cure for, you're going to die in pain thing. I don't remember. It was wow. Sponda, spondyliocus something, something, right? I'm so yeah, medical, that right? not sound fun. Yeah. It, yeah. Let's just say he was diagnosed with the land of suck. Okay. And got it. So what he did was he was wealthy. <laughs> and uh he was he was the editor of a huge like huge 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 newspaper and he and I might be getting this wrong it could have been a magazine but he he was big time right yeah and he had a very close personal relationship with his doctor so he pushed his doctor and pushed him pushed him to do IV vitamin C mm-hmm. and uh and that's actually one of my big tools for um Lyme but he also diagnosed himself belly laughter and what he did was he <laughs> brought in like old Abbott and Costello and you know what he oh, found yeah. funny yeah he had a projector brought into his hospital room and he watched them and <laughs> what he it. yeah and what he discovered because he couldn't sleep because he was in so much pain and what he discovered was he would belly laugh if he would belly laugh really really deep for a certain amount of time he could sleep for two hours that's gorgeous I love that and he actually cured himself with vitamin c and belly laughter amazing yeah it's it's an amazing story like amazing and 
So yeah, laughter is curative. Yeah. But when we're in a certain spot, we're beyond laughter. Yeah, yeah. You know, and I think that's something else I'd like to convey. You know, I mean, this is just, this is for mothers who are suffering yeah. and don't know what it is. And, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. you know, and, and, and there's so many, you know, I mean, you know, I remember writing a blog for the North Hollywood patch about postpartum OCD. And I had one woman in particular who wrote me for maybe up to a year after that. And she was like, I haven't heard anybody talk about this. And this is exactly what I have. Yeah. And she was suffering. And I mean, I think that's one of the worst things about the postpartum era is just the isolation. That oh my god! Oh my god! Get home with this. You're stuck. You know this being that needs you constantly. Mm -hmm. Like you can't even set them down without them screaming sometimes. And so, yeah, it really can feel like you are all alone. And there is no reason in this day and age to feel so alone. There are so many ways to reach out, even from home. There are and, and Facebook, face, this. yeah, yeah. Facebook is an amazing tool, and I'm not talking about. I and I didn't know about groups back then. Yeah, but I created not, parents party. I created a group yes, because you did. of my, and that's why yes. I created it I <laughs> because I was like, party. I'm so alone. Yeah, I need people, please. You know, and, and there part are of like, it was just like I didn't want to bombard all my Facebook friends with like pictures and talk about babies because like not everybody yeah. cares, uh, and yeah. I wanted a place to do that. But it also was just so that I could be real with people and be like, yeah. is anyone else just feeling like fucking shit right now?" <laughs> exactly. And surprise, yeah, a lot of them were. Especially when you create your own group, you can make it private yeah. if you know other pregnant people or people. Mm-hmm you know, struggling, you can make it private and make it a safe space. That's right. Yeah. And, you know, but, but there are a lot of groups that you can join, you know, like I've, I'm in a few Lyme groups and those people have saved my butt because any chronic illness, you know, like it's really isolating. Again, I find myself isolated. Again, I find myself losing friends. Again, I find myself losing family. But, you know, but I also know what I I also knew, you know, I was like, oh, this is what's going to happen because I've already been through it. But the shock, the shock of just the shock of having a child, your whole life changes. The shock of being a mother, the shock of the responsibility, the shock of not sleeping. And, you know, and so often we go see male doctors who are so dismissive because Mm -hmm. they're like, well, you're just a tired new mom and it's like yeah there's tired new mom and there's postpartum yeah mental illness you know what I mean and 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 there's a difference and I think that we know like I know that I knew something was not right but I went to my male OB yeah I mean you know yourself and you know your your normal kind of baseline and you know me I'm a fucking you know sunshine rainbows coming out my ass unicorn cheerleader most of the time and yeah, so we're really similar in that respect. Like <laughs> exactly. we really are happy kids. Yeah, like, we're just we really happy lucky folks. Yeah. And so, you know, when it is just such a struggle to yes. even like sit up or yeah. carry on a conversation or do oh, any gosh. of the things that I normally love to do. Yeah. You know, you know, something's fucking wrong. You know, that's not fucking normal. 
Yeah, like even talking on the phone. Yeah. I mean, it's like uh... getting up, like literally just standing up. Like, you know, I mean, the fatigue was so heavy. It was Mm -hmm. crushing. And I feel like your whole body is just like covered in weights. Yes. And I don't like dragging yourself. And yeah, so, I mean, and yeah, I, I was like, I had some weight on me from the pregnancy too. So like, so well, yeah, was literal, but no, it's just <laughs> this feeling of like, you cannot lift yourself up. It's just, yeah. And I think what a lot of people don't know too, is that depression is physical. Yeah. Yeah. It's not just mental. It is physical. It well, will. Mind and body are like, so connected. Completely. Yeah. And, and, you know, people who haven't gotten that yet, that's because you haven't had that experience yet. Yeah. <laughs> like, I hope it never happens. Me too. But I, I guarantee at some point, you know, you're going to have this experience where even positive or negative, you realize that your mind and your body are very much connected. Yeah. You cannot extricate them. And Western medicine is really, really good at dealing with broken bodies. Bodies yes, that crisis. have. Yeah. Like yeah. that have fractured or, you know, broken in some way. They're really good at fixing that shit. Absolutely. They're good at surgery. They're good at setting bones, stuff like that. Yeah. What they're not, what Western medicine is not good at is dealing with these chronic illnesses that yeah. have a host of weird, mysterious symptoms yeah. that don't necessarily correlate neatly to the mechanics of the body. And yeah, it's clinical. How, yeah. But they don't you know? understand how to help the mind heal itself. <laughs> That is not something that Western yes. medicine is is good at. They're starting to though. I mean, mm-hmm. some, it's some, getting better. Some are, and then it's hard. It's also, I, I had a hard time reconciling. You know, the point where you do need medication, yeah. and you know, and and for me, I did. Part of my weird nuance is that I already had bipolar disorder and PTSD, right? Mm -hmm, So mm -hmm. they were being, they were really, really actively being treated the entire time prior, during pregnancy and after, right? Yeah. Yeah. But when I went to my OB and said, I'm really struggling with postpartum. Yeah. He laughed and told me a story about Winston Churchill because he thought it wasn't his problem because I had a psychiatrist and a therapist. See? Was it a good See? story about Winston Churchill at least? Um, no, he actually told no. me that. Uh, well, no, it was, it was interesting. He said, uh, you know, that we would have lost World War II if Winston Churchill would have taken meds. Wow. And this is a celebrity OB, Rodeo Drive. Okay. Yeah. Um, and that'll be in the book. I'm not yeah. allowed to say yeah, his name, well, but, but, um, it'll be in the book. He's not my OB anymore. Mm-hmm. <laughs> But yeah, it was like that. So that was the response. It did not correlate with their mission statement at all. And yeah, and there were, there was a lot of horrible medicine practice in my recovery. But finally I found a psychiatrist who really cares. But I think that's part of, it's like you were saying, you know, just to, just to tie it all back together because we're almost out of time. (laughs) Looking back at the beginning of this conversation, when you were talking about that, you know, your karmic kind of, I don't know what you want to call it, retribution or <laughs> yes, job. Past life karmic retribution. In this, in this lifetime, mm-hmm. I think that's part of it is all of this, all of these medical challenges and overcoming one after the other and then becoming a spokesperson for Absolutely. other people who are suffering from these things. I think that's part of what you were here to do. 
Yes, absolutely. And that's why I feel like, you know, sometimes people ask me because you can die from Lyme disease. If the spirochetes go into my heart or straight up into my skull, I will die. Right. And uh, I know that I won't die. Right. And and this is why, because I know that I have a mission. I know that I am here to serve and I I'm here to spread love. And and I'm here to tell my story because I don't mind telling my story. I'm not shy about it. I don't have any secrets. You know, I don't, I'm an open book and a lot of people aren't. And I totally get that. A lot of people are private, but Mm -hmm. I'm a very public person. So I know the power, you know, I'm not a doctor. I'm not going to tell you what's going to cure your postpartum depression or your Lyme or your whatever. I'm going to tell you my story. And Hopefully that belly well, laugh that you yes. get from hearing the story <laughs> will also help you keel. But also yeah. it's it's just in the relating and knowing, oh my God, I'm not alone. Yeah. Oh Absolutely. my God. Me too. And I learned this in my with my very first chronic illness, which is alcoholism mm-hmm. in recovery. Because yeah. that's what we do in recovery. I would that's go right. to 12 step meetings and these speakers would share and I became one of those speakers right I'm one of those speakers now these speakers would share and I would laugh so hard and I was dying of alcoholism I my life was so dark before I got sober I never thought I'd laugh again and I would we would laugh at these because we relate we laugh yep anybody ever goes to a 12-step recovery meeting a lot of times like normal people who don't have the disease go they're like, why are you guys laughing funny? at this? Oh my God. Yeah. It's but that it's kind of gallows well, yeah. humor of like, you have to laugh really because otherwise you'll just fucking cry all the time. And like, there's a, there's a point at which you can't fucking cry about it anymore. Exactly. Like, it's just done. I have to tell you, I know we're running out of time. My epiphany. Yeah. My epiphany. When I healed, when I was healed, I was doing stand up. I was rocking it. Right. Yeah. One day, all of a sudden, I had the epiphany. What if I took nothing seriously? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, you know, I don't succeed in that <laughs> on a daily basis. <laughs> yeah. But it's a goal. Yeah. It's a goal. You know, what if I didn't take too. it seriously? I, yeah. I, 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 I'm a very Zen person in a lot of ways. And I think what is beautiful about Zen is that it doesn't take itself seriously. Yeah. I love it's Zen. It's just like, yeah, like everything, everything is irreverent everything is sacred it really is it's it the whole the whole mishmash it's like that judgment of you know what is to be joked about and what isn't that's not a real thing that's just opinion you know it's absurd like really (laughs) i mean if you think about life on this planet yeah it's pretty absurd yeah it's a hundred percent (laughs) absurd on that note yes I love you so much. I love you. And so this has much. been amazing. And we obviously need to do this a lot more because I we feel do. like there's like five different podcast episodes just there's in a lot. this one episode. <laughs> so I will clearly be tapping you again for this. Rad. Love it. Yeah. And let me know if you have something else that you uh, desperately want to talk about. Oh, girl. I'll let you know. All right. Okay. I love you so much. I love this you. This has been great. Too. Thank you. Okay. Take care of you. I know you do, but I do. go have a belly laugh. For me. I will. I okay. will. Okay. Bye. Bye. We want to change the world. Change the world. Change the world. We want to change the world. We want to change the world.
intended to construct to assemble our work.